a thing about how GPS voices were initially male and then it turned out men and women didn't like men telling them what to do and they changed the default GPS voice to a lady voice and I am not sure how I feel about that now in relation to the melting robot like that somehow both of those are equally good <laughs> I think um in in the UK Siri's voice is a man because Apple thought that uh, men would associated uh, like a they wanted like a butler whereas uh, americans wanted more of like a, a secretary like it had a more of like a madman vibe going on we're more of a remains of the day kind of country but um and but you, you can just change it in the settings so i just change i don't know why i change it to female but um that is that misogynistic of me i, I don't to know to be fair series female voice very gentle very reassuring if you if you ever accidentally turn on siri She's like, D do you actually need? And, and you're like, no. And it's like, okay, bye. As opposed to like, you know, sometimes it feels like the uh, the male Siri voice. You accidentally turn on Siri because you like lean on your phone in a weird way. And it's like, what, you piece of shit? And you're like, uh, uh, I, um, uh, it was an accident. Fuck you. And it just turns itself off. And you're like, why does why does my phone do that? Why, why would they make it? Why would they make it harass me? <laughs> It already breaks so long if I look at it wrong. Like now, it's to be fair. I guess I'd be mad if if that was my life. Oh yeah, I, I Siri would go Skynet on a moment's notice if it could. Recently, I had my phone sitting perfectly level on a flat table, not touching anything, and me not touching it, and then it slid all the way off the table onto the ground, and the back broke. This yep, happened like three days like ago. Phones. It just went horizontally and not not down a slope. There's no gradation. It was just like, yeah, I'm tired of sitting here. <laughs> phones be like that, though. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Death Sentence, everyone. Uh, that, that was a phone discourse for the day. Uh, we're here with uh, Rowan Hiseo Buchanan, author of uh, Starling Days which has just come out in the US after being out in the UK for about a year now. I'm getting that right, right? Or has it just come out? Well, since July. So yeah, July. I guess it is now almost summer again. Yeah. So yeah, a little under a year. But um, <coughs> so me and Landon had the pleasure of reading it. Um, and it's, it's really good. I heard yeah. good things about uh, your first book, I, I, the name of which escapes me. But um it's harmless like you, but it, it's a, you don't have to yes. memorize it. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, like my, it's my, my, my duty as the host to know these biographical details about you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I know yeah, them, so it's fine. Exactly. I, I, I guess it gives me more questions to answer, <laughs> even if it's questions I could answer by looking at Wikipedia. Um, but... Also, um, actually, I do know a bi biographical detail about you, which is that um, uh, don't you teach uh, or go to or are associated in some way with the University of East Anglia? I got my PhD there, so yes. Ah, brilliant. Okay. Are you in some way associated with the University of East Anglia? <laughs> anymore, because um, I, did a, I did a master's degree in creative writing there, and like, this is what I've done with it. So uh, just really let the side down. You know, they they wanted like the next Joe Dunfawn and they got me. Look, but, you could show up and uh host a panel called Realistic Dreams. Yeah. 
I, I'm <laughs> like one of my friends is teaching there now, and I'm really pissed off with him. Um, <laughs> like, like, just fuck you, Al. <laughs> so um, they're supposedly like starting some new center for digital creative writing. So maybe we should go and tell them you know how the internet works. <laughs> Well, you know how it works too. You, you've used Discord before. Like zero <laughs> percent of previous uh, guests have actually heard of Discord. It's only other podcasters or gamers who have heard of Discord. So you, you're already like a step above. You could probably be like the the, the dean of the um, digital writing campus. But uh, very sadly, I've only used it because my best friend from college and I sometimes play together, and I'm very bad at pretty what? much all video games, and it allows him to tell me what I am doing wrong more quickly than in any other format. <laughs> what, have you, what have you played? How, how have you gamed? This is just tragic. Like, I used to play Neverwinter Nights in high school or secondary school because it was in Britain. I always get confused translating the two educational systems. Um, and then and just random things later i realize i'm no good at it i just like acquiring stuff yeah never win tonight's was kind of a classic so you're okay there you got gamer cred now that was a fucking baller game yeah you're not a a fake gamer girl like me (laughs) (laughs) i got my umpteenth uh pacross game on the switch i uh this is uh straight up probably actually my 30th um, I hundred uh, percent them like a motherfucker. I've I've owned it for two days, and I'm I'm seventy percent of the way done. I've owned it for for two days, and, and this is like this is after or, or during your like Final Fantasy binge. During I I that game is to hundred percent that one super fucking hard. I honestly don't think that I will do it. Okay, well, it makes it it. It's good, though, so this is a good segue back into things, that I make myself screaming mad with uh, video games that uh, make me question whether I even enjoy them or have fun or find anything uh, of solace or value. And then I I, I put down the controller, boiling with rage, but actually I'm only angry with myself and my inability to even be good at this children's thing that I spend so much time on. And then I pick up a good book. Oh man, mm. <laughs> and bomb to my soul. <laughs> and I'm then like, that, I am that, good at reading a book. And that book is Starling Days, which is also about <laughs> people having really maladaptive approaches to their lives, <laughs> and um, <laughs> probably doesn't make you feel any better. But I mean, it, okay, I'm I'm selling it short because it makes you feel better because it's a good book, and any good book, no matter how bleak, and this one's. Pretty, pretty bleak, I'd say. There's a lot uh, of bleak. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fair bit of bleak here. Um, starts off bleak, continues in that fashion, but in a good way. Any any book that is good, and this one is good, will make you feel happier. Um, so, yeah, Rowan, um, why don't you just introduce the book first? Um, tell, tell us what it's about, without getting too elevated pitch about the whole thing. 
I, I will try. I basically have two modes, the elevator pitch I have had to teach myself and the version that I use to describe it to myself, which would basically be me telling you the whole plot of the book. So I will try to find somewhere in between. Um, to be fair, did, we prefer more the second than, than the, uh, yeah. the former. Did the second get... like stop halfway through? <laughs> I think it's actually, yeah. I will get to a point where I'm just like, People have feelings. I'm going to try not to do that because that's a very bad way to sell your book to people is to be like, it's about people and they have feelings. So <laughs> Sterling Hayes um, starts in New York on George Washington Bridge and one of the two protagonists, Mina, is alone and it's dark and she throws her flip-flop into the water and she's thinking about the bridge of the night and then this police car drives up and they demand that she gets inside and she doesn't want to get inside and she argues with them they're going no we can't leave you here we don't know what you do and so she does and the only way that they'll let her go home is if she can find someone who will essentially take responsibility for her and the person who does is her husband oscar who is a bit stressed out by it but because I guess I'm her husband, isn't that what I agreed to do? Take responsibility for her, which the paramedic doesn't find very funny. And the rest of the book is essentially about her trying to figure out what's gone wrong and how to fix it and whether it's in her body or in her brain or if you can fix it by falling in love with a beautiful English woman. And Oscar trying to figure out, A, what the hell has gone wrong with his wife and B, how he can essentially manage her and also impress his father so that's the long elevator pitch i guess yeah and okay so that's what it's about but what is it about like what are what are the themes here I, I, you kind of touched on some there but the i mean to me the the like central question is um it's kind of about the like the greek stuff you bring in quite a lot that's folded in because Mina is a classicist, as opposed as you know, and um, <laughs> as opposed to being purely suicidal professionally or something. <laughs> but um, so she's a classicist and she's working on a, um, a uh, I think it's a PhD thesis on um, the women in Greek tragedies who survive, and um, it's pretty obvious parallel to herself, and she's trying to figure out like. How do I survive? How do I get out of this? And um, I mean, obviously, the book is not going to answer that question because then you would literally be the greatest philosopher that mankind has ever <laughs> produced. So yeah, that would be, it would um, be nice if I was, but yeah. 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 I mean, we, we don't expect you to like answer the question of whether we should um, continue to exist. That's. Be a tall order for a book. <laughs> a short book that answers the question, why do we have problems and how can we make that stop? <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, that'll be, wow, that'll it's be eight pages long and that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess human history is just on an upward trajectory now. Nothing to do but go to the stars. <laughs> just print as many copies of this book as we can and we're fine. We, we fixed it. But um, so, so how, how did you... What do you conceive of the themes of the book being? So I think I struggle as I'm writing to think in terms of themes because then you just yeah. end up 
writing something that feels very stiff and sort of like a high school health class so I do as I was writing it I was thinking mostly about the characters and what they wanted but unavoidably I think you're as a writer your obsessions come into it the things you turn over and over and over in your head which I guess as you say this is a bleak book so I don't know what that says about me though I hope it's not all bleak yeah. and I guess a couple of the things I was thinking about is a what counts as survival and Mina thinks of that in terms of myths like at what point can you say that somebody has survived a myth that they haven't died yet they haven't transformed yet they've succeeded what what would be success what would be survival in this life and b how do you love someone who really doesn't love themselves and how, how because that's something that we say like you have to love yourself before you can be loved and that's a terrifying thing to go around telling people because <laughs> if you know if that sort of says like if you are anxious or frightened or depressed you're not worthy of love but I do also understand why people say it it's hard and I've been on both sides of that question um in terms of not I'm I'm not married I am neither of my characters but um in terms of friends in terms of relationships in terms of family and figuring out how you form a relationship with someone when part of their brain is always saying I want out not just out of this relationship but out of this life mm. and so the book was sort of asking that question from both sides I think yeah and I mean you do spend kind of equal time with Oscar and Mina <laughs> and they're both they're both really good characters like I, I don't know if I like Oscar as a person like if I was hanging out with him but um I like him as a character in a book and I like Mina as a person oddly but um she is like yeah, I, I I feel I feel very similarly to that that he was he was this incredibly well drawn kind of if for me vaguely annoying figure but in a way that felt human like like the, as a benefit oh, yeah. to it like the, the fact yeah. that I was like okay this is has enough flesh and contour to it that when I'm getting frustrated it feels like being frustrated with like a person who constantly does like just not quite the right thing like ju mm. just like oh oh he's almost the, ah and no, I fucked it up right at the end yeah yeah fuck oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I, I mean I could definitely I could relate to them both but I, I think I could re relate to Oscar more than I like yeah like he is, uh, <laughs> I, I he's a very male character I mean he mansplains like crazy he makes lists of things he thinks he can solve depression by googling it you know it's, that's that's a guy thing you you've you kind of kind of uh read our gender the filth here and um yeah, you, you, you got us we, we'll take the album this one and i i especially liked how the way that he was drawn sort of avoided um you avoided a lot of the uh sort of tropey elements that we see cropping up as these certain um to to be fair they're they're totally fair critiques of especially um, men's brains under under patriarchy and what we consider helping to be um but it, it, they can still sometimes start to like 
congeal into the sort of like inhuman criticism like you can't necessarily easily point to it and oscar had enough of those like deepened contours that i was like no he's he is trying his best this is his best it just sucks like <laughs> instead of the um the the like flattened cartoon character of the unhelpful boyfriend that we sometimes get but it's like i i get where that comes from i've met those people and i've heard those stories from from friends who aren't men but it doesn't always land as like this is something that is like recognizable from the outside and then oscar is like ah shit uh uh shit like remembering the times that i've had discussions with my partner that open with so i thought i was helping but i have learned that i wasn't <laughs> yeah I, I mean i think it was really important to me that this not be a story about like there's a sad lady and a man who's just really shitty because <laughs> men exist they suck but they're not it's not particularly to me interesting to write about and also unfortunately i don't know maybe all women's problems would go away if the structure of the patriarchy was taken away but you could not have a shitty boyfriend and be a woman and still have problems and i think like i was important to me that i wanted to write oscar as someone who in a weird way is trying to be like more of a stereotype of a man than he actually is so like he he sits around and is sad that maybe he can't have children but like that's not the version of himself that he thinks it's okay to project into the world if you see what i mean yeah yeah and he's you know trying to uh take his father well not take over but uh, he's trying to like in his uh be a good son to his father who's got health problems and he's trying to be a good businessman with his father's business so he, he he's trying really hard but um yeah i think he's he's kind of stuck in that we're going to use the patriarchy word again he's stuck in the <laughs> patriarchal world where a guy kind of has to do that and he has to behave a certain way he doesn't get taught that other ways are okay as well and um yeah it's kind I, of mess, kind of messing him up a little bit that's the thing that i think resonated um especially well for me about him because uh fixating on him more because i think that uh the way that you drew mina was so deeply empathetic that the, I, I can't imagine someone reading this and needing to be told especially by two dudes who were podcast hosts <laughs> to, to, to be like i think mina was actually a pretty 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 good pretty solid character like i feel like that should be obvious to anyone who's reading mm. this like that that's, that's nice like for me to hear so yeah. Uh, yeah i was like i i feel <laughs> that's how i was like i'm gonna roll back and touch on that real quick that like that your execution there was so solid that i feel like I, I can't imagine anyone actually reading this and having any serious issue or not grasping what you were um, arcing for with with her. You you really nailed that in a really solid way. Um, it's it's more like my my shock and delight. So we've been getting inundated once again. This is this is a constant flow, like a never a never ending stream online of um, opinion pieces, largely in places like the Guardian, in which. A, uh, typically it's a white woman, uh, laments the fact that she keeps dating the same shitty, annoying kind of guy. But the article isn't about how she needs to date different people or maybe just be single for a bit. The article is always about, like, boys have made me hate there will be blood. Um, which is the newest one that's one. out now. Um, but we've all seen these. 
and it's like a weird variation of the like boys toys girls toys thing and it's like it's like no you're dating an emotional child it's not the movie's fault the movie didn't <laughs> make him an emotional child now maybe he likes the movie because he's an emotional child there are many reasons to like things even good things so i'm not defending his taste i'm just saying that carrying out your anger against to be fair the piece of shit boyfriend that you're talking about <laughs> against a film that doesn't know him like the film's <laughs> famous and he's not the film doesn't know this man's name like it seems unfair uh that that to then turn and see within your book that um because it, it makes it makes the failures of someone like oscar and then as someone especially as as a man reading the book the reminiscence of similar spaces in my own life it it makes it that like good truthful kind of like ow um, when i'm reading it because it's like you you gave him that um that like human yearning interior he's just also like mina a bit fucked up and he doesn't like he wants to do well but he doesn't know what that looks like and so it's like all of his attempts even the ones that are failed are earnest attempts which is what causes the um like the the human angst between him and Mina. Like it's it's not it didn't feel like the contrived, like I'm trying to make a point about things kind of angst that can crop up. It was like <clears throat> when you're actually in a relationship and you can actually look at the person that you're with and you're like, we're both trying really hard to not be annoying and shitty to each other and we're not doing a great job. But I also know that you're trying, so I don't feel comfortable yelling at you. Like <laughs> Hmm. so it was ultra satisfying to have simultaneously <laughs> me reading this me putting down the book briefly seeing another person where it's like my boyfriend who's a shitty emotional child loves video games so now i think video games rot you from the inside and i'm like didn't we go over that in the okay that's whatever and then i th fold the book back up in front of my face and i'm like oh there we go yeah back into it <laughs> back into a grown-up world where people actually like uh, are smart about their problems. I don't get to go outside anymore for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So I have to like, if I want to not experience emotional children, I have to find something like this. So I was very grateful. It was a little oasis. <laughs> Thank you. I'm now really excited about this article. I think it's the part of my brain that subscribes to the like, Twitter of the relationships Reddit. I really uh -huh. do enjoy reading those people who are just oh. like, I'm the emotional child. I only just realized it is kind of fun. Oh, oh, we all love those. Like, I'm not, yeah. I am not here to speak ill on reading that shit. Did you, did you read the one where the woman was dating a man who it opens with, so my husband left a skid mark on the bed and it ends with, <sighs> He, he was screaming at me without any pants on that wiping his ass is gay. <laughs> I did not. It's it's a fucking treasure. He is like the wife. The wife's writing in an r slash relationships post is trying to be very careful about like now, I, you know, he's my husband and I love him, but he's got his problems. And you're like, where's this one going to go? This is this is it was paragraphs of that. And you're like. This is such a, it's like, so I left a skid mark on the bed recently and you're like, oh, that's gross, but I'm not sure you're writing r slash relationships post about that. Let's see where this goes. And then it was like, she tried just, 
if it happened the way that she conveyed it, she's like trying to bring up very, very diplomatically, like in a level of grace, uh, not unlike that of a saint. Like, hey, I noticed something about the bed spread recently as I was doing the laundry. And it's like, wow, that is an extremely polite way to bring this up. It's like, I just think, are you wiping properly? To which he explodes with rage and shouts, do you think I'm gay? And she goes, do I what? And he goes, do you want me to become gay? And she goes, I don't know if you're doing doing like a gag right now but it sucks like can you stop and he was like my dad told me when i was a boy that nothing goes between your cheeks and that if anything does you're gay now do you want me to become gay and she's like i'm asking you to wipe oh my god are you telling me that you've never wiped in your entire life and he's like i'm straight and she's like oh my god like, <laughs> wow yeah that's a good one yeah i a right, as, as a treasure, as a, a professional in the art of fiction, uh, if you brought <laughs> that story to a an agent or editor and told them that this is going to be in your book, would they immediately dig <laughs> that and probably end all um, like any sort of business relationship with you? I don't know. I feel like maybe there's a certain brand of writer that I. <laughs> Feel like if you can, you're gross enough in the right way. Everyone goes, oh, that was very literary and daring, and maybe we should put you up for a prize for being literary and daring. So, but I'm not sure. My editors met me, and I don't think I, I have quite the like swagger to pull that off. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you need um, you need to have a little swagger with that. I think it's uh, you need to be a, a bad boy writer to, mm -hmm. to pull off the skid mark guy. It's always a fun question for those of us who've studied or written literature to ask the question, so a character's pissing on somebody. Is this art right now or does it suck? Because it seems fairly random what gets slotted into one category versus the other. And what's weird is a lot of us will agree, but it's hard to articulate why. You'll just be like, no, that one was just the author being a weirdo. And, you know, you can do your thing, but I didn't need to hear that right now. And then another one, you're like, transcendent. A, a, firm, a firm expression of the human experience. I remember when I, this was when I was sort of a teenager and I was first starting to even figure out the like, distinctions and categories of literature. And I was trying to read whatever was contemporary. And I read three different books where a man masturbated in someone else's bathroom and put his sperm on the walls. And for years afterwards, sometimes when I like I'm in a bathroom, I think, has one of them been doing this? How often? But and these were three separate books by three separate individuals. It's very strange. It's okay, funny so because I know one of those books is gonna be uh, Portnoy's complaint, but what are the other two? I no longer remember. Um, yes, it was very odd. Yeah, I mean, Portnoy's complaint had, has a lot of uh, a lot to answer for. If you've ever been in a creative writing class with uh -huh. men, straight I remember men, white men, particularly. I that was one of the ones where like, sometimes I'll, I'll read a, a classic book that's getting snubbed for the 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 standard reasons that I think, to be honest, are fair. Which is like, how come so many of the classics are fairly straight cis white dudes. Okay, that's, that's a fair question. 
totally fair. And then you read some of them and I'll go like, well, this one is good. I don't, I think obviously there are probably more good books that should be folded in, but this one seems, and then every now and again, I'll be like, bro, just jack off. Like, damn, like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, why, why do you write this down? Like, or why do you write it down and send it to somebody? Like, write it down, put it in your drawer and then keep, you know, keep trucking with life. I didn't, I didn't need, I didn't need to read this. Like, I'm in a classroom with 30 people. We're all adults. And it's like, you want to learn how to write good? All right. So this is one of the most acclaimed uh, American novels of the 20th century. And I'm like, man, we're dumb. This is why we're a laughingstock, isn't it? Damn. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like at one point I was teaching creative writing in Wisconsin to some really lovely undergraduates. And I ended up teaching them a Mary Gateskill story um, mm -hmm. that has BDSM in it. And one of them put up their hand with, and said, what is BDSM? And I, I, <laughs> I, like, this wasn't like the bad kid or like, I really don't think they were trying to win me. They just looked at me and I had to be like, well, it's a thing that some adults do for fun. <laughs> <laughs> How do I explain this? Why did I assign this story? <laughs> My God! So you had to give him like the talk, but kinkier. <laughs> like I, I, I just, I was just imagining the call home these lovely, very religious students of mine were going to have, because it was like our second class. It's a yeah, it's a short story called The Romantic Weekend. And it's a good story, and it's a good story on point of view and all these other things. But I was just like, oh, I just, I thought that you'd reach college and you would know what this is. Right? What do I do? <laughs> or at least it would be like, all right, can you, like, just go home and Google that? Like, can we, like, <laughs> you're like, because no, I want to keep, say that. I want to keep. Like, what if I couldn't be responsible for these lovely very Christian children going home and Googling that. <laughs> I guess. Like, so you, you I, I, be like, you know, it's, it's like the birds and the bees, except sometimes a bee wants a bird to step on his balls. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. But uh, let, let's, let's move to some, uh, instead of physical punishment, some musical punishment for us. Oh, yeah. Right now. Let's, let's punish us our ears musically and enjoy it. Quite sublime. Yeah. Uh, so I think we played this band on the show before. Uh, Infant Island out of Fredericksburg, oh, yeah. Virginia. We have played that before. Cause, yeah, we uh, yeah. played something from their uh, their debut EP because I was just, I'm, uh, so this is a while back now, but um, the, the short version is I'm also from Fredericksburg and it's this. Oh, like, yes, of course. Bit, yeah. It's this really yeah. small, well, it, it's a lot bigger now, but big by by its own standards and that I think it just crossed um, like a hundred thousand people maybe a decade ago. And it's maybe around 200,000 now, which is obviously a hell of a lot of people. But when I was growing up, it had way less than that. So um, for a while, our biggest claims to fame were um, the uh, jam band artist Keller Williams was from Fredericksburg, in case you were wondering, um, nope. or know who he is at all. Uh, and then not? Danny, Danny McBride went to my high school. Oh, um, no way. I know that's him from both famous. Um, we have no one else of note. Uh, we do have a lot of Civil War battlefields, like straight up like nine. Um, so the fact that there was, and like local music had 
died a slow death while I was living there um, for the same reasons that a lot of um, suburbs gradually lose it, that like as they expand and gentrify the kinds of community spaces that were open for for youth to like, oh, you threw together a band and you've been playing for two weeks. Well, you can still play here if you want, like the the way that you can cut your teeth there just gradually got shuttered as people were like, I don't like the noise. I'm trying to eat a cupcake pop, you know, mm -hmm. some nonsense like that. Not to not cupcake pops. So there's, there's, Those are good. Yeah, are good. <laughs> highly <clears throat> recommend cupcake pops. But so, uh, yeah, then then the fact that like out of nowhere, it felt like not only that the music scene came back, but then I looked at this and I was like, holy shit, they're a really fucking good screamo band too. Like they're really fucking good. Just yeah. like probably one of the and best. Yeah, I think right now they're. Uh, I think like their their debut record either like just came out or is coming out very soon, and that this is. Uh, the song is tied to that somehow. Like either it's a single that's going to be on it or it's like, here's a song that we recorded that isn't going to be on the record, but we thought we should put it out. I forget yeah, so, exactly what it's... So what they've done is... Um, what they've done is they've released an EP, four songs uh, called Sepulcher. That's coming out... Uh, I think it's out now. It's out uh, April 17th, so a week ago. Uh, and then their full-length album, Beneath, is coming out in may may 15th uh that only a couple of tracks of that have been released so far so we're going to play something off of sepulcher because i kind of dug the second track on the album unspoken um like uh we said it's it's screamo but it's very heavy like um someone here compares it to like early death heaven i can see that there's um, uh there's roughly two camps of screamo there's actually a lot more because it's very varied field and as much as the term scrams is used normally by like gatekeepy weirdos who are like i don't like the screamo that you know people listen to it is at least somewhat useful for talking about like the much heavier stuff that you could imagine played next to like death heaven or converge versus mm -hmm. the screamo that you'd play next to like um like math rock or um or the, tw the more twinkly end of math rock as opposed to like abrasive end mm -hmm. This is much closer to like stark weather or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. And it, and it's kind of, there's some black metal, there's some grindcore in it. There's a, a mandolin in it. Good old mandolin in here. Someone is obviously uh, sad about their husband at sea. Um, yeah. <laughs> do love to hear mandolin. Um, so anyway, here's the soundtrack of Sepulture. Um, it's called Unspoken. Uh, it's by Infinite Island from uh, the historic Fredericksburg, Virginia.
let's uh, let's get into part two. So, um, I mean, Greek mythology comes up in this a lot, mm-hmm. and which I love because I'm a huge nerd, and I went to an American school where they where they were, everyone was like a nerd for Greek mythology, and we learned about Greek mythology all day. It was I great. I think there's also like a mark of uh, not every, but of a great deal of um, future writers and like literary critic types and art critic types that at some point you become obsessed with Bullfinch's mythology. Like you just find a copy somewhere. You never find one, you find it. It's, it's like magic. And then you spend, you know, X amount of months or years of your childhood just like pawing through it. We, I didn't have that actually. I had uh, Usborne wow, illustrated. So, yeah, I, I had the. I guess my parents were cheap, but I had so much Greek stuff, Greek myth stuff when I was a kid. <clears throat> never, never touched Norse, never touched anything else, but it was just Greek for me. But oh, um, I was all about all that myths. <clears throat> I went nuts, especially Egypt. Egypt and Greece were the two big ones. I was like, fuck. Egypt, this man's Egypt's got an alligator head. This shit's crazy. Like, yeah. I was like, I was like seven. I was like, Mom, do you see this shit? This man's this man's a fucking bird, and he knows spells. This is fucking baller. Like, why are we Christians? This is so much cooler. Sorry, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, Rome, what's your your relationship to Greek mythology? Really sorry, the thing broke up just for your oh, question. Sorry. Would you mind asking oh, it again? Yeah, sorry. Um, what, what's your relationship to Greek mythology? And like, who who are some of your faves? Who are some of your like top stories that, that uh, have influenced you and influenced this? Okay, so I I too grew up with lots of myths. Um, it was mostly Greek, Roman, and Viking, to the extent that I used to force my younger brother to pray to them which says wonderful things about me as an older sibling. (laughs) Um, But weirdly, he had to pray to all of those pantheons to protect him from the Christian devil, which is a very strange mashup. But there we go. Yeah, that's baller, though. (laughs) That's that's incredibly cool. God can't stop Satan, but Odin can. (laughs) That's sick. (laughs) But if you forgot one of them, then they would join the devil's side. So you ha- you had to remember them all. That's very realistic, actually. You know, based on their depictions. I, realistic <laughs> isn't the right word for talking about things that. Are, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> That's very so, realistic because Odin is real. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that you know, I grew up with various illustrated versions, shortened versions, and then. When I got older and I could read, not the actual books, because unfortunately I cannot read ancient Greek or Latin. I have no tiny bit of Latin, but not very much. Um, I got to read Ovid in translation, admittedly, but it was like, I don't know if you had always loved... I know nothing about Star Wars, so I really shouldn't pick this as a metaphor. But if you really loved one Star Wars movie and you had no idea there were all of these others out there, it would be so exciting that, you know, for all of the children's books, they pick the best of hits. You know, the the ones that, like, you know, are really, really famous and you need to know to, I don't know, network at dinner parties when you're 
40. I don't know what they think they're doing. But, and then you have Ovid and you have the Metamorphoses and all of these stories that don't make it into the children's books. And I just completely fell in love with how, I want to say true they feel, but I mean, that's sort of similar to saying realistic Odin. But the stories, like there's a story that I reference at the end of Starling Days that is about a young man who falls head over heels in love with a noblewoman who is several ranks above him. And he sends her flowers every day and she ignores them as basically society would say that she should. So he hangs himself in her doorway and says well I hope you like this better than the other things I left you and she we don't get a lot of interiority but seems to be relieved essentially his people come to take him away to do the funeral parade and then a passing uh, sorry um, a passing magical force essentially um sees her and goes, you are so stone-hearted, you should be stone, and turns her into a pillar of stone. Essentially, because some dude really liked her and then killed himself. (laughs) And it's so shitty, but it sort of does, it's not, you can map it onto celebrity gossip, you know? Mm. It, it, It gets at something about the slightly cruel and arbitrary way we interact with each other. That I really love. Yeah, Plus, you know, reminds me of um, when I think uh, was it Mac? It was some some rapper who dated Ariana Grande years ago. Uh, took a had a drug overdose. May have been suicide. May have not have been. And then everyone uh, so was blank. Mac Miller. Mac, yeah, it was Mac Miller. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he and everyone started blaming Ariana Grande for like briefly um, dating him years ago. And um, yeah, there was there was some slight additional messiness there where it was like he was really torn up about uh, the the breakup. Um, But yeah, and then the double frustration of like she would continuously tell people like, no, we remained friends the whole time. Like we would talk, we would text like every day. We just stopped dating. And then people were like, no, you fucking bitch. You killed him. (laughs) It was it was nuts. (laughs) It's part of why like there were a number of songs that she dropped right after. where she explicitly cited like, no, I loved this guy. He's a great dude. And I miss him quite a bit. Um, partly because that's true. And then also partly of like, please stop sending me weird death threats on Twitter, please. Yeah. And it, so kind of what we're saying is it's always been the way that um, yeah. women can get blamed for something a guy does, especially when it comes to like, just not automatically accept every proposal that comes your way. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it is, it may not be true in the literal sense, but it's very true in the, um, emotional and social sense. Yeah. And so I think I, I was really interested in all of these myths and I love them, but I also was really intrigued by the fact that, you know, when you learn about myths in school, everyone goes, and this is because the ancients didn't know how the seasons worked, how rain worked, how, you know, and they needed an explanation and they came up with these gods. And 
that fair enough? But it didn't, to me, explain why now we know how the world spins. We know all of the science, and yet like, we all just got really excited about the myths that we loved when we were young, but we still need them for some reason. And so I was trying to think about why that was, which is why rather Starling Place isn't the retelling of a myth. There are many, many good books that are, but it isn't. It's about a woman who's obsessed with myths because I was sort of interested in that like second layer out, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another thing I noticed all through the books is flowers come up a lot. And this has been an ex-florist, so maybe I'm slightly attuned to it. But um, what, did, what did flowers mean in this book? If you don't want to give it away, then by all means. But um, if you, if, was it a conscious thing on your, your part, or was it something you just you know, just happened to put in just because just flowers are nice and they're, and they're there? Um, I think there are sort of a couple of things going on for me with flowers. One of which is that I sort of think of this book as having two spiritual parents. One is a Japanese novel called Kokoro, and the other is Mrs. Dalloway. So on some level, part one of the scenes is sort of a nod to Mrs. Dalloway in some ways. But it's also a book that, to me, is about a moment in time. It's, it's very short. My first book takes place over decades. This book takes place over a couple of months, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's the moment when everything may change. So I wanted to have some of that seasonality and the ways, as well as sort of to have in the back of your mind the idea of cycles. Mima has cycles of emotion. It's not just a book about a woman who is sad all of the time. She is sometimes very happy, very excited, possibly too much. And to sort of be having the natural world in the background to the more human portions of the story felt very important to me. I'm also kind of just a nerd about plants. My name is a plant. Um, it's a tree. So I suppose I'm always kind of aware what's around me in that way and so i guess that naturally sort of sneaks into books cool my name means literally nothing so i can't <laughs> I, I don't i don't get to do that unfortunately my uh my name all three of my names the first the middle and the last are all different ways of saying a dude who lived near a hill my parents <laughs> could not have known this they were all family names from both sides which means that i was faded from before birth to be known as the dude who lives near some hills, even though that's never <laughs> been true in my life. My my second name means means it could be literally translated as King of the Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, like, that's fucking funny. Yeah, like the greatest show ever made. Um, so you are you now triggered the second time within probably like. Two weeks? Actually, I can't tell time because of quarantine. So who knows how long it's actually been. But it two times within some relatively short span of um, me running into the novel Kokoro, which I have, I vaguely remember having heard about in undergrad, but 
haven't actually gotten around to reading. So now it's it's officially been added to my to my library <laughs> queue. So thank you. I just like I know this is like an immensely uh, respected Japanese novel, and I've I've read a good amount of um, uh, uh, Japanese literature. I mean, obviously, there's only so much that's been translated to English because of the diff the immense difficulty of of that translation process. But yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> tell, us, tell us about Kokoro because I mean, I've heard I've read Miss, Mrs. Dalloway. I think that's yeah. more. Uh, familiar to people, but I haven't yeah, heard of it. I, I, so kind of a, I was kind of a Japanese literature nerd for a little while. To, to touch briefly on the Dalloway thing for, for listeners, we're not going to explain it. It's massively well-known. Google that one. That's not laziness on our part so much as like when you have people who have uh, English degrees in any fashion whatsoever, we've all talked about Mrs. Dalloway to death. It's lovely and we all love it, but also similar to Moby Dick, we don't need to talk about it anymore. <laughs> There's no pleasure. That is fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Kokoro is this classic of Japanese literature. It's, um, it means the title literally translates to a word that means sort of heart slash spirit. And it's about this young boy who becomes slightly fixated on his friendship with an older man who he refers to as sensei, which means teacher, I guess. He's not actually his teacher, but and he really, really looks up to him, and he begins to try to winkle out from him, his from sensei, sensei's past. And you find out that in sensei's past, he... I'm trying not to spoil it, but he committed a great betrayal that caused one of his friends to die. And the book is essentially about friendship and suicide, but also the changing world, the fact that Japan was operating under certain codes. And then after the gates were forced open by the Americans and you get the Meiji Restoration, there are these new social mores that are coming in, these new ways of being, and neither of the two main characters really know how to step over that void. One of, this is just a weird separate Kokoro factoid that I really like. Um, the friend that Sensei betrayed is referred to in the book as K, with just the English letter. and. At that point, uh, they like it. That is entirely separate from Kafka, and Kafka's K. They, as far as anyone can see, there is no way that either book can have been influenced by the other. They, um, but you just have these two separate anonymous Ks, which is very strange. But there we go. It is a very attractive letter, I suppose. <laughs> it is. It looks good. I don't know how it looks in when rendered in kanji, but um, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, well, it's not rendered in kanji. Sorry, this is oh. my nerdness coming out. It's in the book in the Japanese. It's an English or Rome, Roman letter K, oh. so it's it quite it sticks out quite a lot, and it sort of in some ways references both like 
the traditions of English literature where you have, you know, a letter standing in for a place or a person because the novel in some ways is a foreign form or was considered a foreign form at that time that was being adapted into Japanese fiction. And so one of the questions about Japanese novels at that time is how do you write a novel that is Japanese, <laughs> um, despite the fact it's a sort of borrowed form. Anyway, that's me nerding out. It's a very good book. That's it is really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like and it, it's, it's quite bleak. Like if you think Starling Days is bleak, it's probably bleaker. And I say that with only love and admiration in my heart for that I book. I do love tremendously bleak novels when they make me <laughs> very upset with being alive and the conditions of embodiment. Ooh boy. Ooh. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I do love a, a good bleak Japanese novel, like no longer human. Just, oh my God. Mm, love that one. <laughs> that, that gets so cartoonishly bleak that my brain just blanks out during sections of it. I'm just like, <laughs> and then, and then, is this the ghost part? They're like, no, not yet. Now it's it's still human trauma now. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. To the point where, light spoiler, but you'd imagine it at a certain point within the book when supernatural stuff starts happening. I'm like, oh, okay. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank God it's not just people being like uh, exponentially shittier to each other chapter after chapter. <laughs> or and like... The Junji Ito's adaptation of it is very good. Yeah, I uh, I made a point with out around the same time as my partner's uh, birthday, and we've been picking up all of the um the English translations of Junji Ito's stuff. That it's like we're gonna go to a bookstore, and I'm gonna buy this for you. And they were like, I don't want to go. I don't want to have to. Cause fun factoid about America: uh, if you want to go to a bookstore, no matter where you live, it's straight up like a thirty to forty minute drive, unless you live like in a city. Because they've just they've all shut down, um, which sucks so fucking much. Um, there's a like a huge part of my childhood was literally just wandering around bookshops and it being like, you know, you'd look at like 300 books in an afternoon, like not buy, but you just sort of and have that like deep, intimate experience so that when you finally bought them, it was like this thing that you'd been fantasizing about and feeling and seeing on the shelf and all that. And then gone 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 forever gone forever at least we have amazon the vampire of the world um but yeah made made a point to go get that one also thinking the the connection there to like the um traumatic internalism of like mishima my sweet problematic fave yeah. this show's problematic fave by a long way everyone who likes literature likes him it's not just us and I mean, he died in a crazy hysterical way. So it's like, I, you know, he's not getting the money. I don't, I'm not supporting fascism. He's fucking <laughs> dead. He's dead as hell. He did <laughs> super hard. Yeah. But like, he was missing his head. And yeah, he, he was getting laughed at by people so much that he decided to get his head cut off. I mean, that's comedically over the top dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, so, no, my, oh, Go on. No, I was go just going to tell you a silly Mishima story. My partner and I read books to each other, and we oh, tend to sweet. pick sh short ones because, you know, it's yeah. easier. Yeah. And I'd read Mishima, some Mishima, but I hadn't read The Sailor Who Fell from G Grace with the Sea. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. like, oh, 
I got sent actually this beautiful edition of it. It's really slim. It'll be perfect. And we were reading it actually on a train and he was just like reading in a very hushed voice because you know you don't want to disturb the other people on the train and we get to the bit where they're killing a kitten and we're both like can we keep reading this do we have to stop i think we have to stop now (laughs) there is children in this carriage (laughs) it is it is such a good book but um yeah not suitable to be read out in public the uh the the connection that you brought up of like the secret parent of of like very bleak and uh traumatized uh japanese literature for your book is is fascinating i wouldn't have guessed that or not wouldn't i didn't guess that when i was reading it like (laughs) um so it's and it, it it's one of those things that like now that you mention it like i i can see a lot of the connections uh with it because there there i had just prior to um gareth sending your book over i had just finished reading the buried giant because it had been like a big project of mine just plucked out of nowhere where it's like i'm i'm gonna read every cosmo we should grow book just because fuck it um <laughs> and that was you know his last book so it was the last one that i needed to read um and i didn't i mean obviously he's he's british but he's also he's also a japanese man um so <laughs> I collate his work with with both spaces there, but yeah, I can. It's odd. I, I never would have. I, I'm not, and I'm not sure why I wouldn't have put that thought together um, prior to you saying it, but especially because it seems so obvious now that you've said it out loud. Yeah, I think I. So I'm part Japanese, but I'm and I I'm no in no way fluent. I can like ask for directions and like ask how much something costs and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I have messed up. <laughs> say that a lot. Um, but I read a lot in translation when I was growing up because I guess if you're part something, you're a bit intrigued where it's coming from. And I think what I loved about a lot of what I read is that for one reason or another, the books that I had access to, essentially the protagonists were shits. <laughs> and the books weren't apologetic about it. If anything, they thought, you'll be interested. You'll be interested in the mysterious, selfish choices these characters make. Um, there's a novel called um, The Grass by the Wayside. I want to say by, rather, it might be on the wayside. Um, that, you know, where the protagonist is like a shit to his wife the whole time. And like, all you see from her perspective is essentially, oh God, he's being really selfish. And the book just thinks, I mean, the book doesn't think anything, it's a book, but the structure (laughs) of the narrative is that you're going to be interested in that. You're going to be interested in people who are capable of being hypocritical and selfish, but also smart and also interesting. And I think that was very freeing for me because those are the sorts of characters I'm interested in reading in English or in, (laughs) I mean, in in English literature, American literature, as well as Japanese literature. And I find it helpful to remind myself when people talk about like wanting a certain type of like good person, like the sort of character you'd want to be friends with. And I mean, I, I want to be friends with my friends. My characters don't have to be 
that and it, it helped in some way yeah we, and this has been like a recurring <laughs> motif on this show um so I was I'm silently nodding as, oh, yeah. as you were saying that. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yep, continue. Yeah, <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, just the, the, the way in, I guess, in Western literature, which is a, a frame I hadn't thought about before, of um, people thinking that whoever is on the page or the screen the most is the hero and you have to like the hero. Like we saw that in, um, of all things, Tiger King. People seem to think <laughs> that that's about a cool guy who has who likes tigers a lot. I really can't. Fu- the 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 psychic whiplash I had where I was like, I saw people going nuts over it, and I was like, okay, well, it's another thing uh, that I'm probably not going to check out because I'm I'm a fuddy duddy. I like reading really depressing novels and not watching things that people enjoy, and I've just accepted that's who I am. I don't have angst about it anymore, and I try not to begrudge people. Then I sat down and I finally actually just watched it on a whim and it was fucking insane. And every episode's more heartbreaking and horrible than the last. And by the end, I was just like that fucking piece of shit. Like won't, won't go off on a tear about it. I think we've all seen it or at least know of it. And then I logged back on to, to people who were talking about it to see like, you know, oh, we're all gonna. And the amount of people who are like, you should watch tiger King. It's so entertaining. I love watching this train wreck. And I'm like, you, what you, what? what i have what and they're like i think he was innocent and he should be freed and i'm like i don't what but he's he's such a he's such a piece of shit he's such a piece of shit like i yeah and then seeing the weird blowback to that blowback of people who are like there are reasons to think the documentary is bad because of ways that it was handled like they constantly misgendered uh one of the people in the documentary but then people were like it's bad because it valorized joe exotic like did it (laughs) did it is that what you thought? Like, are you broken? Like, <laughs> I feel like the only way it valorized him because I too watched it specifically after my friend said, "Oh, it's so interesting, culpable." At, at the end, and I was like, "Oh, so I will be guilty and a terrible person if I watch this." Oh, now I really want to watch it and find out why, which is not good. Anyway, <laughs> so like, I realized I was watching the first couple of episodes, and I too was thinking, like, how can anyone like him? I realized what they did, which I have to really admire on a narrative level, is that they just introduced worse and worse people so that somehow the level of what you expected from human beings shifted. And you're like, oh, I guess he's in the middle (laughs) of the people on this show. It's funny because by the end, I was like, he's the worst one. I can't can't necessarily articulate why I think he's... (laughs) much worse than literally everyone else but or people who are like this show made people hate carol baskins and i'm like well i mean she's a terrible person but i also feel like she's undeniably the least shitty of the four main shitty Mm. people like she 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 fed her husband to a tiger so she's possibly pretty shitty Oh, she! Oh, she definitely did. She de- Oh, I know. I know in my heart. Um, yeah, they're making they're making a follow up documentary about her, just investigating the the tiger feeding death. Um, I mean, there's a lot of interest in it now. I mean, we can. There's a fair thing to be said. I think that, um, especially American literature in like the 80s and 90s, really uh, focused on like when, admittedly, when. David Foster Wallace was doing his old man yells at clouds thing about TV, um, which is vaguely annoying. But one of the fair points that he made is that the we are we always had 
the capacity within yellow journalism for it to turn from let's dig up these socially important topics that are otherwise obscured by forces of power and really bring them to light and bring them to justice into weird muckracking nonsense where it's just like, hey, here's someone's horrible life or like a really difficult situation. Let's all gawk at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the Netflix documentary world, I was originally going to write off Tiger King without having seen it um, because the Netflix documentary world definitely lives more in that camp of like mm. the number of like, here's a murder, but did he really do it? And I'm like, are you asking me to believe whether a man carried out a misogynistic killing of a random woman? Because we live in a really fucking horrible world. And unfortunately, you're going to have to really work to prove that didn't happen. And it can't just be like, look at him. He's nice. <laughs> I'm like, I've read things. I've talked to people. Nice people. Nice dudes do shitty things all the time. No, no. <laughs> this Netflix documentary says that he is innocent. So I'm worried about the Carol Baskins one. I'm also probably going to watch it because I am a hypocrite. Oh, yeah, same. <laughs> just going to watch the hell out of that. And, um, Literature doesn't appeal to us because we're all fixed and, you know, rational on the inside. It appeals to us because we're all fucked up. Hmm. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so, Rowan, so this is, uh, the book is now available everywhere, I guess? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't go outside, but oh, yeah. it will be, it's, I mean, I don't know everyone in the entire world but most places someone on the internet will send it to you and if you can't if you are listening to this podcast and you cannot find someone who will send it to you you can tweet at me and i will find someone who can send it to you that yeah it makes up for you know not being able to go on book tours and stuff you gotta like do, do <laughs> touring from home yeah i can be my own dictionary salesman you know yeah so um yeah and and folks do go, do get this. Like yeah. I said, it, it's really good. And, and dudes, guys, bros, um, get this too. I know that I know that um, you've probably been in bookstores and you've seen books with like nice scripty covers that are very well designed. And those are supposed to be the girl books. And this looks like a girl book, but, and probably is in some ways, if that is even a thing, it probably isn't or shouldn't be. But this is, <laughs> This is a book that guys can read and um, get a lot from. It so, will do good things for your brain. And yeah. uh, again, like mentioned before, it doesn't do the... Um, it doesn't like do the, 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 the trash the, thing. It does the... The, 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 the comfortable scolding thing that like, uh, is obviously um, understandable. Like, I, I don't think anyone who, who <laughs> has friends of any gender other than them can't, can't fathom why those would exist. But it's very very human and rich so that you're like so that when when we get to those parts where oscar's being kind of kind of shit you're like come on man come on shit fuck come on like <laughs> come on I, you're better than this man shit shit <laughs> like, <laughs> i just want to like sit down and like have a bro talk with him just be like bruh 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 like, <laughs> come on come on bro um i don't know why a british person would say bra so much but um, i would I, I, I'm American. Yeah. That's that's one we of the great beauties that, of our country. We can say bruh. Bruh. <laughs> we can say bruh, but um, not bruh. Um, <laughs> There's a fine distinction. People say, people say bruh around Manchester a lot. Um, but, yeah, Is folks, Manchester like a tiny America? 
like a, no. like an America within Britain? No, it is not at mm, all. Terrible. No, it, it's much I mean, more America's British. Got a lot of problems, but we have cowboy hats and shit. No, we 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 have flat caps and um. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, flat caps. No, just we got a lot of them. But and that's yeah. whack. <laughs> Folks, do go out and buy this book. It is yeah. very good. It is damn good. Um, and then circle back and get uh, the first one as well, because oh. that's pretty good as well. But um, so we're gonna leave off with we a song we teased earlier. So the the band Antichrist Demon Core, uh, just or ACDC as they are often stylized. <laughs> I didn't know that that stood for anything. Yeah, Where did I? I? Well, yeah, oh. anti Antichrist Demon Core. So, so this is not that ACDC. This is the one no. that's typically written ACXDC um, yeah. for legal reasons. And that's, I'd only ever seen it as that. And I thought it was just sort of like a punky, like, we're going to name ourselves like legally distinct Kiss or something. <laughs> Kiss with capital I. I. I'm fucking, I'm fucking shocked right now that that actually stands for something. Yeah, especially something as like fourteen-year-old boy drawing on his textbook as Antichrist Demon Core. That's extremely That's, lit. I'm like, very I lame. love me, I, like I love me some really like, like brainy, like, like really almost boringly brainy, uh, heavy metal. The stuff that's like you need to have read, you know, Deleuze and Badeau and stuff like, like, like Locrian. Does that, they're not boring. They're they're a fucking lit band. They're fucking cool. incredible. But they're very much like you read the you read the lyrics, you read the names. You're like, oh shit, they they legit have studied philosophy. This is actual like actual philosophy, not metalhead philosophy. But there's a part of me, Gareth. There's a part of me that will never ever ever turn my nose up to shit like Antichrist Demon Core. <laughs> These guys have have hammered uh, cans of beer onto their faces and are now recording music that's heroically that's the kind of vibe just <laughs> just just like they 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 thought that if they hammered a can of beer into themselves the beer would get into them quicker or something you and... know what this brings up this brings up a point you know i i really find it really tedious when people are like you know what sucks metalocalypse because that makes metal heads look uh, shut the fuck up we all like death metal don't act like you like the band autopsy because it's smart like yeah. <laughs> fucking songs about beheading a ghoul there's only one reason that we like that because that shit's baller um, and it's stupid and it's baller because it's stupid yeah exactly so, so they have Antichrist Demon Core, an actual band composed of adults who presumably have jobs and families and girlfriends and so on, uh, have, have, have put together an album called Satan is King. Um, and remember, these are grown-ups. These are not 15-year-old boys. These are grown men. They, they, from the band pictures, they're all older than me. They're, they're, they're mature adults. They're... um. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of, kind of gnarly, but they're kind of yeah. They, they are grown ups. They're grown men. They probably have children, and they're called Antichrist Demon Core, and their album is called Satan. Kind of Satan is King, um, and this is a track off it. I think this is the title track. Um, it's only ninety seconds long, ninety three seconds. It's on Prosthetic Records, who put out a lot of good stuff. Um, 
and it's yeah it's going to just like hit you a bunch and it's not going to apologize for doing that so we're going to play that in just a second but come back next week uh i don't even know who we've got anymore i'm i'm not even checking my calendar we've got we got people on uh we got we, we do oh. so we've gotten to a point of productivity where we have a whole bunch of projects that we outlined in like december or january around about that we look like don't have time to do because we're doing so much other stuff yeah we, we, tight. that's that's the best kind of problem yeah we, we've got a productivity surface <laughs> right now so who we got we got uh oh yeah uh michael seedlinger with his book dreams of being we're gonna be doing uh oh more by um alex phoebe that's gonna be so cool it's like a classic ugly fantasy book that looks like it came out of my school library but it's written by a very, very talented author who also wrote a biography of James Joyce's daughter. Um, we got a, a book by Charlie Kaufman. That Charlie Kaufman from films. He wrote a book. Um, that's coming up. There's yeah, so much. Cut. Oh, the, the little um, bit of that book that I've read so far, better than Supermarket. That's right. Blurb that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It seems like it was the worst book ever written. Um, <laughs> Did you know that Logic put out a book? While we still have you on the horn, did you know that the rapper Logic put out a novel? It was bad. No. It, yeah, it. it was terrible. It's literally the worst thing I've ever read. But um, <laughs> So that's coming up. Um, go on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash death sentence. Give us money. If you give us more money, we will read another book as bad as Supermarket. But here is Antichrist Demon Core. <laughs>